The ancient biblical prophet Micah, one of the 12 minor prophets, isn't exactly a well-known household name by most Christian standards. Not like the major prophets, like Isaiah, Jeremiah, uh, Ezekiel, and Daniel. This is really, really too bad because Micah was uh, an incredible prophet. Even though he was obscure, he really uh, did a good job. He had, his, as they say in our culture, his stuff together. Well, yes, he has eclipsed and has, was eclipsed, excuse me, yes, he was eclipsed by the much more famous contemporary prophet of his, Isaiah, who actually ministered among the elite, the rulers, the ruling class, the wealthy, and the movers and the shakers of that culture in the 8th century. Micah was kind of a poor man's prophet, a blue-collar one. He took his message to the streets. And in the book of Micah, the prophet shares exactly what many people to this day have wondered about pleasing God. See, there's pastors and teachers and preachers and professors who I think have made Christianity and the Christian faith a little bit complicated. They've made it so sacrificial, so extremely difficult. To many, God is impossible to please. Therefore, faith has become a series of long, drawn-out, painful acts designed to appease an upset deity who is in the, who's out there in the sky who delights in watching us squirm. Micah shrinks the entire list of do's and don'ts. This you can do, that you can't do. He shrinks all of that down to one of the finest definitions of faith that has ever been offered. In Micah chapter 6, verse 8, and I'm going to read for you from the New American Standard Version. He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. What is required? Three things, to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Well, we're in this sermon series this summer in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where we are exploring God's definition of love in verses 4 through 8 of that chapter. And in it, God gives us 15 different verbs to describe the noun love. Last week, we begin with the first one on the list, patience. And a portrait of love is that love is long-suffering. It is patient. That love is slow to boil. Well, today we're looking at virtue number two in love's definition. Love is kind. And in today's discussion, it's important for us to know that patience and kindness, they go together like two sides of the same coin. And Lucy said that this morning in the children's message. They're, they're linked together. They're like one another. And in the original language of this text, the noun love is not repeated in the second verbal phrase. It's repeated over and over again in verses 4 through 8, but not when it comes to the first two uh, virtues that are listed here, the first two verbs that we see here in this text. It says that love is patient and kind. Patience and kindness are linked together. And this isn't the only place in the Bible where this occurs. And it's not the only place in the writings of the Apostle Paul where it occurs. And it's not about Paul. This is about the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that these two items are linked together. In 2 Corinthians chapter three, 6, excuse me, verses 3 through 6, Paul is defending himself there to the, the Christian church. 
And in so doing at Corinth, he links together patience and kindness as being inseparable. Let me read that text for you. We put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships, and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger. Boy, I want that job, huh? Listen to that. And then verse 6, in purity, understanding, patience, and kindness in the Holy Spirit and in sincere love. In the fruit of the Holy Spirit, in the text there that lists that Galatians 5.22, we see there as well this patience and kindness being set alongside one another. For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. And the Greek word for kindness is the Greek word krestos, meaning useful, gracious, kind, helpful, being useful. And in our culture, we actually have a a saying that people will use over and over again, not recognizing really that what we're doing is asking people to be kind. But that's what the invitation is when we say, well, make yourself useful. You know, if someone's standing around or they're there and there's this work or things that can be done, well, make yourself useful. That's a statement of be kind and pitch in. Roll up your sleeves, jump in, get your hands dirty, get involved, place yourself willingly in the service of others. Crestos, too, is only one vowel. The epsilon here, which is the E sound, that's the first vowel in that word Christos. It's only one vowel different from Christos. Christos has an iota in its, in its first syllable there, and it's the I sound. And Christos is Christ. And we're going to talk more about that later, but I want you to recognize that. Christos, Christos. Only one vowel is different for each. Now, this word is also has a common equivalent in the Greek language, uh, and it's the term charis. Charis means grace. We're more familiar with the phrase charismatic. Charismata is the Greek word for spiritual gifts. That's what charismatic is, the exercising of one's grace gifts, of one's spiritual gifts, which every follower of Jesus who's a believer has a spiritual gift or spiritual gifts, maybe multiple gifts. That's charismata. But charis is the word grace, and kindness is a gracious act that treats people better than they deserve to be treated. And contrary to patience, which is more passive, uh, patience is long-suffering. Patience puts up with things. Patience is slow to boil, okay? That's passive. Kindness is more active because it's doing something for the one who's being loved. And in the ancient Greek literature, Krestos uh, referred specifically to rulers who were gracious to their subjects, uh, who acted with kindness toward their constituents, to those in the kingdom. And not every king or every ruler was that way, but when they were gracious, they were considered Krestos. It was also used for people who took in abandoned babies in that Greco-Roman culture in the Roman Empire during that time frame. Now, to set the the backstory a little bit, you have to understand that in the Roman Empire, it was a man's world. 
men had all the authority. It was a patriarchal culture, a patriarchal society. Uh, they had total authority. Women couldn't vote. Women couldn't own property. A woman couldn't even step out of the doorframe of the house without her husband's permission. Uh, they had total control over their families, over their spouse, over women. They had multiple sometimes women uh, married to one but had mistresses. They had complete say over slaves and property and what children they wanted to keep and which children they wanted to discard. See, there were many abandoned babies left, sometimes on the roadside, sometimes in a pile of rubbish or heap that were abandoned because many men in the Roman Empire wanted to have male offspring. So there were more male offspring in the Roman Empire than there were female offspring. The only thing that helped balance it out were all the wars and men getting killed in war. That's what helped. But many young girls got abandoned at birth because the husband didn't want to keep that baby. Well, the people who took these unwanted children, many of them were Christians, and they were called kind. Uh, that's why the church grew so fast in its early years, because they were caring for the, the needy and, the, and the, the, the neglected and the abandoned. And the church in its early stages was comprised of more women and more slaves than even men that were in the church because of these things. These people were called crestos. They were kind because kindness does good on behalf of others, even when someone is our enemy. Again, in our sermon series, we've emphasized over and over again this summer the biblical truth that God is love. God's very nature and God's very being is love. And last week we saw firsthand, as described in the Bible, that God is patient with us. God shows His love to us through His patience. Well, the same is true about kindness. Ephesians 4 verse 32 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. This verse teaches us that the kindness that we are to show others has first of all been expressed to us in Jesus. God isn't asking us to do anything that God hasn't done himself or is doing himself. And God is asking us as image bearers to be like him, to be like Jesus and be kind to others. Now in Romans chapter 2 verses 1 through 4, last week we learned that we shouldn't pass judgment on others. That's not good Christian conduct. That's not how God's people and God's children go through life judging everybody else. That's not what it's about. And it's said there, if we do pass judgment, uh, we're actually, aren't we judging ourselves? Because we too are going to be judged. And then in verse 4 it says, if we do that, we're showing contempt for the riches of God's kindness. It also mentions patience, which we talked about last week. But it's showing contempt, first of all, for God's kindness toward us. In the prophet Nahum, who's another minor prophet, it says there in chapter 1, verse 7, that the Lord is good. Now, what I want you to understand about this 
is that when the Septuagint was translated, the very first translation ever of the Bible, and it was before the time of Christ, just years before Jesus came to this earth. And there were many people who spoke the Greek language, but they didn't understand the Hebrew language. So many in Israel were even growing up and could not uh, read the Scriptures or understand the Hebrew Scriptures. So they translated the Bible from Hebrew to Greek so people could understand it. And what's interesting here, when it says that Yahweh, the Lord, is good, here's how they interpreted God's goodness. They said that Yahweh is Christos, the Lord is kind. And it's God's nature as a God of love to be kind, to do good things for those who do not deserve them. Listen to what Paul said in Titus chapter 3 to the young man Titus. Listen to what he said. At one time, verse, verses 3 through 7, at one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. That's a way to live, isn't it? That's what's going on in our country. Hating and hating one another. That's what happens. But when the kindness and love of our God, of God our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. God has been kind to us. It's His kindness that sent Jesus and the Holy Spirit to save us. Now, another important text that we need to look at today that highlights our loving God's kindness towards us is in the Gospel of Matthew. Happens to be a very, very familiar text. Chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. And it goes as follows. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Farmers in ancient Israel used to train younger, inexperienced ox, oxen by yoking them to an experienced older ox with a wooden yoke. And the straps and the pinning on the older animal would be drawn down very tight so that the ox shouldered the load. The yoke on the younger ox was left loose, so the younger ox just walked alongside the mature ox. Well, his burden in that case was light. Jesus says here, when we walk with him, we are yoked together. When we are a disciple of Jesus, we are a follower of Jesus, a learner of Jesus, one of his children, we are yoked together with him. And Jesus says, I am the one who pulls the weight. I am the one who carries the burden. For verse 30 says, for my yoke is easy. And here's the part you got to catch. My yoke is crestos. My yoke is kind. It's kind for me to come alongside you it's kind for me to bear the weight of your life. It's kind for me to bear the burdens in your life. 
Now, another important gospel passage that we have to look at today is Luke chapter 6. And it also shows us very clearly the kindness of God toward us and the kindness of God toward everyone out there in the world. Here's Jesus' teaching about love for your enemies. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others what you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be the children of the Most High because He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. When we love our enemies, those who are opposed to us, those who violate the very faith that we profess and that was dear to us, when we love them, we show that we are children of God, that we are like Jesus because God is kind to the ungrateful and to the wicked. And the kindness that the Bible describes in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4, is not earned because of the goodness of the recipient. That's part of why I read that text for you, because you need to understand that. Love is not kind to people because people deserve it. It's kind because love is kind, because God is love, and God expresses His kindness to us because that's what love is, and God is love. And so He's inviting us to express His love, which is both patient and kind. Colossians 3, verses 12 through 13 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, there it is again, humility, gentleness, and patience. Every single day when we get up, we are to put on, because that's what the metaphor is, is to clothe ourselves. Every single day when we go out into this world, we are to be clothed in compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with each other and forgiving one another. If any one of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Do you hear what this is saying? Whoever has a complaint against someone, who is it right now? Who is that person? Or who are those people that you have a bone to pick with right now in your life? Who do you have a complaint against? This is the person or these are the people that you are to show the kindness of love to. Which, by the way, is the exact example that King David set for us. 
You know, King David was a man after God's own heart. King David was a king who had reestablished the borders of Israel. King David was the one who the Messiah was going to come through. He was held up as the premier king in. And he's the one who set an example for us in 2 Samuel chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, when he raises the question to his assistants, is there anyone left from the house of Saul that I may show kindness to for the sake of Jonathan? Now remember, Jonathan was Saul's son, the previous king, and Jonathan was David's best friend. And so David is wanting to do something. If there's anything he can do for anybody that's left in this family of Saul. He wants to do this in honor of his dear friend Jonathan. Well, he's informed by one of Saul's servants named Ziba that there was one relative left, a young man named Mephibosheth, who was injured when he was a young boy and he was left crippled. So King David calls him in and he restores to him all of Saul's family's land. Restores to Mephibosheth all of Saul's family's possessions. And then he instructs the farmhands that they are to work the land for Mephibosheth so that he can receive an income from it. And then David goes even a step further. He even allows Mephibosheth to eat daily at his table. I mean, a foreshadowing, if you will, of the great wedding feast of the Lamb where people from all walks of life and all challenging circumstances are invited to the table of the Lord. David really showed kindness to this helpless, disabled young man, someone he didn't owe a thing to. In fact, Mephibosheth's grandfather was David's mortal enemy, Saul. Not that David wanted him to be an enemy, but Saul perceived David as a threat to his throne, and so he tried to kill him on a couple of occasions. David spent years of his life running around the wilderness, fleeing from Saul and from Saul's men. And here he does this incredible act of kindness to Saul's grandson. You know, as I mentioned earlier, the word kindness is krestos in the Greek language, and the word for Christ is Christos. They are very similar. And because of this, some people in the early church begin to substitute Christos for Christos because Christ was so kind. For believers, our lives should be marked by kindness that people may say of us, there is a Christian. There is a kind person. And if you are a Christian, you have received the undeserved kindness of God. And this is the very thing that God is asking us to share with others. Because love is kind. Would you pray with me, please? God, our Father, again, we thank you today that you, God, are love. That's your nature. That's your being. And out of your nature, you express your love to us in so many profound ways. One of them we talked about last week is that you are a patient God. You express your love to us by being patient with us. And today, God, we have seen that you have expressed your love to us through your kindness. And we have much to be thankful for because you've been so, so kind to us. And Lord, we live right now in a hate-filled, hostile world that I believe desperately needs to experience the kindness of God. And God, I believe part of that 
is through your children. To see your children being kind in circumstances that don't warrant uh, what generally would be deemed as kindness for those situations. But God, I believe that you're inviting us to express your love to this world around us, to be known as kind people because love is kind. We pray this for your church today, God, that your church would, would uh, measure up to that. And we pray it in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen.